0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Well, good morning again. We are um, continuing here our series in the uh, book of Hebrews, uh, kind of a verse-by-verse working through the book of Hebrews. And so if you're our guest with us this morning, uh, we frequently do this where we'll go through an entire book of the Bible and and we just look at it verse-by-verse. This morning we are looking at four verses. And so I know that many of you right now are thinking, wow, we're going to get out on time. Um, Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Um, So four verses in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, which Dennis just read, and and so if you have been with us. I kind of want to remind you and ask you a few questions about uh, the book of Hebrews. Who is the author? Unknown. Now, first service, I, I kind of said, well, it was God, and so that's kind of a quick question, trick question. But you're right, unknown. We don't really know who the author was, who actually penned this letter some 2,000 years ago, right? And we kind of said, well, maybe, you know, God is obviously, um, has a plan and his purposes, and, and so obviously he doesn't want us to know. And so I'm, I've made the kind of the, the statement that maybe he doesn't want us to know because this book is really about the the about Christ and his supremacy and his preeminence and just his glory and who he is. And so maybe God was saying, you know, I'm going to strip away every other name because it's only about his name, right? And so we looked last week about how how precious that name is, right? And and so the the author here is, we don't know who it is, but he's writing to uh, the Hebrew people. So these were Jews, but yet they seem to be now Christians. So these are Jews that have converted to Christianity, um, and, and they've been, uh, and the writer's encouraging them and writing to them to remind them of, of the faith that they professed, and not just the faith that they professed, but who they professed it in, right? And, and the, the reality of this Jesus and who he is. And so he, he's bringing them back to it to hold them fast to it. Now think about that for a second, because we're going to talk about what it talks about here is that we can drift right there's this tendency for for people to drift away from the truth right and we can see that every we're going to talk about that a little bit but but part of it in the first century here is that they hadn't they had just heard the truth I mean Jesus had just came on the scene, lived three years of his his ministry there and lived to be thirty three years old was proclaimed who he was, God in the flesh. We saw that in the Gospel of John. Is crucified, died, and rose from the dead. And, and now there's these people, the disciples, the apostles, that are going around and proclaiming that he was the Messiah. The, 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 the answer to the Jewish scriptures, that he was the fulfillment of the law, all of it. And he's come. And Now you can imagine how hard that is for some of them to maybe make that jump. For thousands of years, at least for hundreds of years, they've been taught that this is... The law and this is the way we do things. We sacrifice animals, and this is the, this is the the system in which we live that God has established for us, and, and that God is in the temple, and and you know all of these type of things, and we can't go in there. And God is holy. All of a sudden, God in the flesh is talking to me and loving on me, and and having this relationship with me. And He dies, and He goes to uh, raises from the dead, and He tells us if we believe in Him, we'll inherit eternal life. I mean, that's that's a lot for someone to just. Say, okay, I'm, I'm going to shift here, right? Now, we know the only way that can happen is that the Holy Spirit's moving in us and revealing that to us. And that's true for this culture here. But what the writer, I think, is trying to do is trying to say, I know some of you are struggling with this truth. <laughs> I know you're like, is this really happening? I mean, am I really going to leave my family over this? I mean, a- am I... Because it divided families at that time, and it still divides families at some place, in some places in the world, and maybe even here in the United States at times. When we, when we decide that we're going to trust in Christ and believe in who he is, that he was the son of God, that he's died for our sins, that's a big step in our life that, that God calls us to, and we, we leave the world, so to speak, the world system, and we follow that, right? And it changes our whole life. Everything about what we think, what we do, it changes. And so here the writer is, is really just trying to, to say, okay, I wanna, in chapter 1, what did he do? He basically, in the first few verses, he said, look, Jesus is, is heir of all things. So in the end, it's all going to be his. He's not only the heir of all things, but he is the, the agent of creation that God the Father used to make all things. It's all been made for him. And so he's just elevating this person of Christ to this incredible degree. And then last week, what did we see? We really broke down several verses here that he's superior in all things. We talked about many things. I won't name them all, but he's superior in his role, right, in his, in his standing. He's superior in his worship. In other words, he deserves all worship. He's superior in every way, shape, and form. He's superior over the angels. He has all authority has been given to him. He's eternal. He, he's the firstborn of the dead. He's, he's preeminent. I mean, there's just this picture, right? And I will tell you that last week, and, and this happens frequently when I'm preaching, I am preaching to myself, okay? And so when I'm preaching, a lot of that is is things are, the Lord is putting on my heart because of probably where I'm at and, and how it affects me, and I hope that that's true for you and that God is using it there as well. But I will tell you, last week, in all my prep, I really hadn't thought through um, the implication of what I was getting ready to preach last week in some areas. And so when I began to preach about that that we should love Jesus not because he dies for us solely. And if you remember that, I'll just repeat that to you because it, it really was important to me and I think it's, it's important for all of us to think this way. Many times I think that, especially in the Western Christianity, we love Jesus because he died for us. That's where we go. Well, yeah, I got something, man. I will love people who do something for me. If you're going to give your life away and give me eternal life, I'll love you. Sure, right? And nothing wrong with that. I think that's great. I think that's good. But I, I want to say that I think we should got to step way back here and say, no, we should love him. Because of who he is. Not because of what he's done for us. See, that, that's Think about your marriage for a second. And, you know, and I, I hate to say this, but maybe some of you are, are living this way in your marriage. And, and I just pray that you get on your knees and, and try and rectify this. We love our spouse because of what they do for us. Not because of who they are. And that's a bad way to start your marriage. It's a bad way to, to get involved in a covenant relationship. It's like, well, if you do this and this and this, yeah, I'll love you. Like, yeah, you make me happy. I love you. Well, what happens when, you know, when Raleigh gets Alzheimer's? <laughs> is my wife going to love me? Because I can't really do much for her at that point. Because she has to love me for who I am. And if she does, that's really what love is. And so when we think about loving Christ... If we just go to say, well, I love him because, yeah, he did this for us. In fact, when we share the gospel, isn't that what we point people to? He did this for you. He did this for you. You need to love him because of this. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that, that really I think we need to make sure that we're talking about who he is and his preeminence and that he's, he's, God of, he's king of kings and lord of lords. He's the creator of all things and he's worthy of our praise even if he doesn't save us. Even if he never does anything for me in 80 years and doesn't save me from, from my sin if he doesn't do any of that. For the 80 years I live, I should praise him and give him glory because he alone is worthy. And that's really where we begin to, to really get understanding of, of who God is and his majestic nature and his divine nature. And then when we get there, and then when we look at who we are, right? And then when we understand that he died for us, right? How much more powerful is that? Because he was here, And this is who he was and is, and yet he's willing to do this. Oh my, now I'm overwhelmed by that love and grace, right? But I have to have that picture to appreciate the grace, to truly appreciate the grace as much as I think we should. And so I just want you to have that picture this morning okay? That, that picture of who he is. And so that's really what the first chapter was doing. The author was just reminding them he's fulfilled the prophets. He's fulfilled all of the testa- Old Testament. He's fulfilled the law. He is what we've been looking for. Don't waver from this. It's, it, this is who he is, guys. That's what he's, he's doing. And now in chapter two, he's going to say, because of that, now I want to challenge you with some things, right? I want, because I know that you're, you're challenged about drifting. And so now I'm going to say, if he's this, now we're going to talk about this. And so I just want to kind of paint that picture for you. So in these four verses we're looking at today, the primary thing that I'm going to try and draw out today is this. The author is reminding us that we, that we drift. We drift, right? We, we just can drift away. So, now, he's specifically talking here, I think, is a personal level in what we believe and, and who we think Christ is and our walk with Christ, and, and that's absolutely true, and that's where we're going to focus. But I want to, I want to kind of I didn't share this first service, but I want, to, I want to say something that has been on my heart the last few weeks and, and just as I think through things. So when the church started, um, obviously gospel-centered, and, and, but we see if we could go through church history, there's times when the, ch- the church as a whole drifts, right? You know, the Protestant Reformation... And you know, if you're here this morning and you grew up in the Catholic Church, I love you, and, um, and, and I'm not saying that there are wonderful Catholic people who are saved and going to heaven, but the Catholic Church and its teaching in the 14th century, 15th century, got to a place where they had drifted completely away from the gospel. They drifted completely away from the Word of God, right? It was all about the church and tradition and all sorts of things. And if you want to know more about that, come talk to me or read a great book on, on the Protestant Reformation. And so people like Luther and others came to the scene and said, no, we need to reform the church. We need to get it back to Scripture. And so they tried to reform the Catholic Church inside and say, no, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. And, and for many reasons that didn't happen, and, and there was multiple things. And so they, they went out on their own, and that's, thus we have the Protestant Reformation. And so the things like Methodists and Lutherans and Baptists, Southern Baptists and many other others are here because of that, and the way we view Scripture and the prominence of Scripture. So they drifted. I will tell you, in the last 500 years, the church drifted again. And so you say, well, how'd that happen? Well, there's many, but I'm just going to name a few. I think, this is my opinion, I think the church drifted in the last 200 years. Things like Mormonism drifted completely, right? They followed another stream. Jehovah's Witness drifted again, right? Away from the truth of the gospel or who Jesus is. Right? Because all if you look at any of those religions, it's about who Jesus is. That's the key that you have to look at. Who is he? Right? And they mask that really well. So you just be very careful, very discerning. I think 20, 30 years ago, some evangelicals, pastors looked at the church in America, at least in America, and said, Where else have we drifted? Well, we've made it all about prosperity. It's about us getting what we want. It's about word of faith. I get to claim it. It's about me. I get, I get healing if I want it. You know, if I just got to believe, have faith, I get it. I would even argue that some charismatic movements have went way too far. It's about emotional experience. The church has drifted in large parts. We can see even now in many, many denominations, the church has drifted and now have, have, have seen certain things that are sinful in Scripture are not sin any longer. We're We're, we're drifting. And so many in the, in the church, in the evangelical church, have said we need another reformation. And so for the last 20, 30 years, they've been trying to say we have to get back to what the Bible says, right? And so that's why we teach the way we do, because we want to get back to what the Bible says. Now, admittedly enough, sometimes I read it and say, I don't know what it says, right? I don't, Lord, help me. I don't quite understand all of this. And, and so we're wrestling with those things. And you know that in our church, we're wrestling with those, those truths, right? And so that's, I think, The the big picture of the drift, but that same drift, if it's possible to move whole groups of people and denominations, they're moving because there's a bunch of people in those things, that their hearts are drifting. And that's why the the whole denomination drifts, because the people's hearts are drifting. And so that's what he's really saying here. He's saying, you're going to be tendency to drift from the truth. And so I'm, I'm, he's going to challenge us not to drift. And so this morning I'm going to give you four things that, that I think from the text, there's lots of things I could share, but four things I think that we can gather from the text that are kind of deterrence, things that keep us from drifting, right? Some, some things that we can establish and meditate on that will keep us from drifting. So here's your big idea today. The big idea is that drifting is dangerous and deadly. Drifting is dangerous and deadly, why is it dangerous? Well, when we drift away from the gospel, it's dangerous. Even as believers, if we're not rooted in the gospel, we become ineffective. We become overwhelmed by the world. And and, and not saying we don't lose our salvation. I'm just saying we get overwhelmed by the, by the world and, and we're ineffective. Our witness is ineffective. And so it's dangerous. It's deadly because many times before we come to know Christ, we are pulled away, right? And, and we never come to hear the gospel, we never come to to proclaim the truth of the gospel, never to live it and and profess Christ. So you think about the the parable of the sower, right? The sower um, is sowing seed. That's basically the parable here is God sowing seed. He's sowing the word of God, the truth of scripture into the hearts of people, into the soils. And what do we see there? Some of that soil produces great things, some more than others, right? Some are uninhibited and produce a hundredfold, some 30, some 60, right? But there's these other soils in the parable, that seem never to produce anything. In fact, what do we hear? It says the seed sprouts up, and in fact, some of it doesn't even sprout. It falls on rocky grounds and just dries up. The sun comes out and it scorches it and it dries up. Others, it it seems to sprout, doesn't get very deep roots, and then the cares of the world come along and different things, and it strangles them out, or weeds come up and it strangles them out. And I would argue that that's kind of like drifting like you you've heard the message of the gospel and you you've you've somehow made a mental assent to it and you've kind of sunk a little roots in it but you really you haven't been born again there's been no supernatural thing that's happened to you but you're working that direction and the danger is is that the world comes along and pulls you away right and i just want to say is that happening in our culture today I mean, if it's happening 2000 years ago in that culture and you look at our culture today with all of the the media, the, the advertising and all of the things, the, the 24-hour news cycle, the, the 24-hour TV and every channel, imaginable, everything you'd ever want to watch. Uh, you know, we all have earbuds now and so we can never, there's no, don't have to be quiet any longer. There's always somebody telling us something, preaching to us about something, telling us to buy something, right? Twitter, we're just hooked to all of that and, and we're drifting, because we're not focused on the Word of God. Many of us are being pulled away. Myself included. I have to, I have to work hard at, at, at hanging on to that and not drifting from the hope that I have in Christ. Because everything, there's so many other messages in the world today. And so that's really what he's going to challenge us. So let's dive in. And we're going to kind of move through these kind of quickly. But let's dive in. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says, therefore. I'll just stop right there. I know we're not getting very far very fast, are we? Therefore you could make a whole year sermon series of the word therefore. If you just looked through Scripture and said, every place that it says therefore, um, we were going to preach about that. And boy, we could spend probably two years preaching about that. And the point of that is is that what I'm saying is that what God is doing in, in, the, in, the, in the Scripture is he's, he's, he's extolling himself. He's, he's, he's saying, here's who I am and here's what I've done and, and all of these things that are just beautiful and majestic. And then he says, and therefore, because this I've just told you, now this. This is how you should live. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. It's, it's therefore, like no matter what it is. And so this is another great example of the author here using this transitional thing to say, look, I've just told you in the first four, three or four verses that God is supreme. He is beautiful. He's eternal. He's the creator of all things through Christ. Therefore, right, this is good. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, the gentleman who read Scripture, the first service, uh, Jason Holt, when I was talking to him uh, right before he went up, he said, you know, that first verse, he said, you could preach for the whole service on that one. He said, wow, that's a dangerous thing, isn't it? And I said, yes, it is. We drift. We don't pay close enough attention. So what do we see here? It says, therefore, we must. That word must, it's it's a necessity. What the author is saying here, this, this isn't a This is a command. It's it's a necessity here. We must pay closer attention. He said, "Look, if this is true, then we must pay closer attention. We can't afford not to pay attention to this. Absolutely, we will risk we will risk being lost from the truth of the gospel if we do not pay close attention to it." Now, remember who he's he's writing to here. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute. He's writing to a group of people that that had all of the Old Testament, they had all the prophecy. When Christ came, did they all receive it? Did they all get it? No, they did not. He's going to make the argument that I think he's saying we, we don't pay close enough attention. I mean, Jesus was fulfilling all of these prophetic things, and, and yet they, weren't, they didn't get it. Many of the Jews did not profess Christ. They absolutely did not. Only a few did. And so he says here we must. It's, it's a necessity. We must pay close attention. Th- this idea, once again, I I kind of wrestle with this. We don't know exactly in the Scripture. What is he referencing there? He says we must pay closer attention. Closer than who? Closer than what? Did somebody not pay close enough attention? I think, I would argue, that he's probably referencing his people. He's speaking to Jews. He's speaking to the Hebrews. And he's kind of generically saying, we as a people did not pay close enough attention. And so many of our brothers and sisters have not received the gospel. They have not acknowledged that Christ is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And so, as we move forward, we've got to pay more attention. We have to be driven in, into the word to pay more attention. He goes on there, it says, We must pay closer attention to what now? Specifically to what? To what we heard. You're going to hear that word, and I'm going to talk about that many times throughout the message today. To what we heard. The gospel is meant to be spoken. It, it, I've said this many times, you know, the Lord created by speaking things in existence. We confess unto salvation, right? We, we share the gospel by speaking. It's the one thing that, that God has given humanity that is unlike any other uh, thing and any other creature that he's given. He's given us the ability to, to communicate in such a way that we can convey biblical truths to one another that transcend our understanding. I mean, it's... Those little things are just so precious. Do you understand that we have the ability to talk to somebody about a transcendent God that's divine and holy and that if they will come to know him and to understand this about him and about who they are, they will spend eternity in heaven. That can't happen in any other way unless it is spoken to them. We have doctrine written down because that's how we come to know who God is because we can read it and communicate it and we can pass it on to somebody. And he says, you've heard these things. Right, So you have to pay close attention to what you're hearing. And isn't that true? And all the things I just said, all of these messages are coming into our minds and coming to our phones and our TVs. Are we paying close attention to what is happening there? I, my mind is going so many places. I'm not here to, I'm not here to bash Disney, but parents... You got to be paying close attention. You just got to be paying close attention. It, it is it is through the whole organization at this point, from the top down. Now, we want to love everybody. I mean, there, We, we, look. I don't care if you're transgender, if you're gay. I, I, I love you. I want welcome to come and hear the gospel, and you know, I'll, I'll be your friend. I mean, but I'm going to speak truth. I'm going to look. I want to speak truth into my life when I'm not where I'm named to be. But when a whole organization has is set on on. An ideology of, of training and raising up a generation and our children. But you know that pull there, isn't it? Like, I, had, I was sad the other day when I was listening to all this. I'm sad. I'm like, I may want to take my grandkids to Disney one day again. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever be able to go. Like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to go because of this. Because I don't know if I can agree with all that now. And like, every organization has, is corrupt at some level, right? So I'm not saying you should... Shutter and hold it up in your house and, you know, close all the doors. But there's a place where you have to say enough is enough. I can't go there or I have to limit my access, right? So we got to pay close attention to what we hear because we're hearing things that aren't true. That we're hearing things that are lies and deception in our culture. And so if you're not paying attention, you're drifting from the truth. I mean, we see it everywhere and everything, right? We're having artificial intelligence coming up, we're having all of this, um, you know, virtual metaverse, all of these things are pulling at our culture and our, as people, and, and we have to be so careful where we go. That's really what the author is trying to say here. And then he says, lest, this is an emphatic word. It means lest, we, we will do this. If we do not pay attention, we will be drifting. We, we will. This is what the point of the text here is, is lest we will drift away from it. There's not a question here. It says, if, if you don't pay attention, you will drift. That, that's kind of what the author's trying to, to say there. This idea of drifting, uh, it's really a nautical term. Uh, you know, you think about drifting, right? You're in a boat, you're just drifting. The thing is, if you're in a boat and you're not rowing, you're probably moving, but you're not deciding where you're going. It's just going with wherever the water's going. And the water in the united states and our culture today and the world is moving in a certain direction. and if you're in the boat, which we're all in a boat of some respects, we're going wherever that water's going. you got to stitch your oar in the water, you got to pay attention to the surroundings, you got to decide where you're going and you got to work at it. you, you got to row, you got to work and hopefully you got friends that are, are beside you in their boat and they're saying, "hey, this is where we're going. I remind you, don't go that way. Bend down that path, that ain't worth going. That ain't where you want to go." Right? Don't drift. Stay focused. Pay attention, right? Think, you know, your kids, like they drift, right? Hey, pay attention, right? I'm talking to you. That's a little bit like we have to be in the, in the, in the culture, right? We come across friends and, and people in our culture and in our, in our churches, and, and we start drifting. Somebody needs to come along and say, hey, wake up. <laughs> wake up, man. You, you, I know you don't want to go that way, but you're not paying attention, right? And so this is really where the author kind of going, this idea of drifting. We're just going to flow past things, right? So we've got to put our oars in the water. We've got to begin to work at it, and we're going to talk about some of those things then. All right, so this idea of drifting, one of the things that we can see here in the text is that we need to pay closer attention, and so and we kind of need to abide, is what the, maybe the author of John would say, you know, John the Gospel writer, and so I want to give you a few scriptures that kind of lay out this first thing that deters us from drifting. In John chapter 8, verse 31, I know we just covered this about six months ago or whatever, it says, "'So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him.'" Right. so they've believed, they've, they've professed belief and faith in Christ, "'If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples.'" So he says, now notice that he says, if you believe, so the ones that believed, and if you abide. Well, this seems to kind of contradict each other, right? Well, he said he be- they believe, but we have to be careful when we use the term believe. Because believing can be a, an intellectual belief, not a transformational belief. Not a, not a my, whole, my whole world has been transformed because of what God has done in my heart, and I believe. And I will now do these things because of it. Many people in the world have an intellectual belief of God. And as we've said before, even the demons believe. So we have to be very careful there. He says, if you abide in my word, in my word, right? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So this idea is that one of the things that help us from drifting is we abide in his word, right? We're going to see that. Then it goes on in Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now notice I just said that you heard. The gospel has to be spoken. It is not enough just to be a good Christian person and keep your mouth shut. That is not how the gospel gets shared with anyone. The, your kids are not going to, from osmosis, by you living a great moral life, going to hear the gospel. You need to share the gospel with them. You need to read to them. You need to show them the scripture, show it what the Bible says. You need to, you know, to explain what the gospel is, who Jesus is, all of that. You need to explain that to them. It's not enough. He says, if you hear," But then he says, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope, not drifting, right? Stable and steadfast, this idea that we're anchored somewhere. We can't just let the, the, the flow, just the water take us to wherever we're going or the culture to take us wherever we're going, right? I mean, think about the drift that's happened in the United States over the last 50 years. I mean, I remember growing up and I was very, very young, but you know, like you watch TV, I don't, I, I don't remember, but people like the, Mary, or the um, Dick Van Dyke or whatever, they weren't allowed to sleep in the same bed. I mean, on TV, they had twin beds in their bedrooms if they had a bedroom shot. You think we've drifted? <laughs> oh, my. Right? It, it's, it's always the force of the world and, and the, the spiritual nature of it. It's always pushing, always pushing. Right? God creates the world. as intimate with man and, and has a relationship with man. They drifted. Saves one man floods the entire world. Because his every thought was wicked that they had. They drifted. So, so just see, we're, we're there. We're drifting. I mean, we, we're in a world that's drifting. Let's put it that way. And we want to make sure that we are not drifting. Right? Second Corinthians, Paul 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Paul says it this way. Now I would remind you, brothers. So he's reminding us. This is really what the writer of Hebrews is doing. I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. This idea of being preached again, right? You have to hear it. You have to hear it. Which you received, they've received it, right? In which you stand, this idea of being anchored. And by which you are being saved. This is the, the thing that's happening. If you stand in it, you believe it, it is saving you. The gospel is saving you. If you hold fast, now he's saying if, right? If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's just saying, you got to hold fast. You, you want to not drift? you got to hold fast. you got to hold fast, right? And that's, that's, that's work. It takes effort. So the first thing I want to share with you, and, and this is a little bit broad, but one of the things that keeps us from drifting is that we stay focused on Christ, right? The, the first thing, and that's really why I think he, he talks about the first three verses in chapter 1, and really all of chapter 1 if you would get down to it, and he says he wants our, our heart and our mind and our thoughts to be focused on the preeminence of who Christ is, and if we will stay focused on who he is, be reminded of his excellency, his deity and his divine nature and his eternal reign, then we maybe won't drift. Okay, that's, that's one thing we just have to get our mind around and meditate on. Who is Jesus? Who is he? He's God in the flesh. I, I was so, i just, I've shared this before, I was so not angry last night, or night before last, I was watching this show called Closer to the Truth just for a few minutes, and they were talking to some Anglican theologian over in England somewhere, and, 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 you know, this guy was saying, how do I know that God exists? And there was this 15-minute conversation. Not one time was Jesus ever mentioned. Like, you want to know that God exists? Have this Anglican priest say, well, look at Jesus. Look at who he is. Look at what he's done. Look at how he's done all these things and, and what God has done through him and all the miracles and all the scripture. And they were just talking, the- they were talking theology or they were talking, you know, psychology. I'm like, if this is, people are tuning in that are not believers, What a deception here for these people. I shut it off. I listened closely, and I made a decision. So stay focused on Christ. All right, verse 2. Verse 2 and part of verse 3. It says, For since the message, so this message now, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but Remember that he is greater than the angels, right? It's one of the things that we just looked at last week. He's superior to the angels. But now it's saying the angels are the ones that are delivering the message. Actually, they're delivering the message of him, right? Because he's superior. And so I just want to take you to a few passages because we don't see it this way much in, in the text sometimes, but what it was the work of the angels? And it's kind of, um, it's not in great detail, but it, I think it'll paint a picture for you. Uh, Luke in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 7, verse 38 says this, he says, this is one who, excuse me, this is the one who in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. So he's talking about when God gave the law to Moses and to the Israelites, right, that angels were involved in this. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. So somehow what Luke is saying there is that the angels were somehow involved in the presentation of the law to Moses and to the people, right? We see it again. Paul talks about it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. It says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Okay, I'll stop just for a second right there. I'm going to clarify that. So why the law? Many reasons for the law, but what was the primary reason for the law? To show us our sin, right? I say this all the time. It's a great way to use with your children uh, or, or adults for that matter. If, if, if you tell your 14-year-old child that they can go out and go out with some friends on Friday night and you do not give them a, a time to come home and they come home at 3 in the morning, you really have no right to be upset at them because you did not give them the boundary. You didn't give them the law. If you tell them midnight and they transgress the law, they're in big trouble, right? And that's what really God is doing here. He says, look, I'm going to give you the law and I'm going to give you 10 simple things. And when you find out that you can't keep these things, you'll realize that you need a Savior. Because you don't think that now. are not thinking that way. And so he began to teach us that we were sinful. And so that's really what this is saying. It was added because of transgressions. Transgressions are, are willingly transgressing the law. Doing something. Staying out past midnight. Even though you know midnight is the thing. They, we transgress it, right? Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Now who would the promise been made to? The promise had been made all the way back in the Old Testament to Abraham. That there'd be an offspring, and there'd be Isaac and Jacob, but in that line, Christ was going to come. He was going to be the promise, right? Until that time, and it was put in place through the angels by an intermediator. So once again, we see the angels involved here. That's all I'm trying to get you to see, is that here in the text, in Hebrews, he's just saying it was declared by angels. So I'm just validating that this is true. The law, the message of the law, and who God was in the Old Testament was declared by the angels. One more. Acts chapter 7, verse 53. It says, you received the law as delivered by angels, but you did not keep it, and you did not keep it, right? So once again, we don't really know, but the angels, the the heavenly realms are working. Obviously, they announced Jesus' birth, all of these things. They're working for the Lord, for the king of kings to announce him. They've been sent by the Father to deliver the law, all right? So the law has been given to them. And then it goes on there in our our chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. It says, That message proved to be what? Reliable, right? It proved to be reliable. It means it's the fulfillment. That message is true. They've had the whole Old Testament, the Torah, all of it, the Pentateuch, they they understood it, the Psalms, the prophets. It proved to be reliable. In other words, it came to pass. Those things came to pass, even in the law. It was true that the law was good and it was right, and all was true, right? It was reliable. They lived by it. But then he goes on there, and he says, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So what's the author saying there? I don't have time to totally unpack all this, but basically saying it's a reliable message, and the angels delivered it in the Old Testament, and they delivered the law and all the things that went with that. And... If you disobeyed the law, right, if you transgressed it, means that you, you, you knew what it was, you did it anyway, right? You stayed out past midnight even though you weren't supposed to. You knew it, it's a transgression, it's sin. If you're disobedient, you don't even recognize the law. You just say, I don't even care about it. I'm going to do what I want to do, right? And so what he's saying here, he says, it's a reliable message, but every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, and we can go all through the Old Testament and see that God was very just. I mean, you go back to, the, once again, you go back to Noah's ark, his justice, right? You go all the way back to being kicked out of the garden. They sinned. He says, you know, if you do this, you will surely die. That happens. They begin to die. They're dead spiritually. They're kicked out of the garden. We just see it over and over. God is just showing, like, the law. It's, it's, it is what it is. I love you, but you disobeyed. There's a consequence. It's clear, right? So how do we help from drifting. How does that help us from drifting, right? Because I think what he's saying here is look, if you do that, and now we're going to see here that Jesus is going to come and share a new message of grace and hope and forgiveness. If you can't, if you're going to be judged under that law, the Old Testament, how much more are you going to be able to miss this thing that happens because Jesus In the flesh has come. God in the flesh has come and told something. We'll look at that here in a second. So the second thing to keep us from drifting, not only do we need to stay focused on Christ, but we need to grow in our knowledge of Scripture. We need to grow in our knowledge of Scripture. It says it proved to be reliable. It proved to be reliable because they knew what the text said. They knew that the prophetic things had been fulfilled. It proved to be reliable. They They could test it against something, right? And that's important. We have to test it against something. For us, Scripture is like the foundation of your house. Everything that you do should be built upon that. And if you do not know it, if you do not know what it says, then then you'll drift. Once again, I'm going to go back to the Protestant Reformation. I'm going to go back to all the things that I talked about, the prosperity gospel, the word of faith movement, all of that. They drift from Scripture. And when you drift off those foundations, you're drifting away, right? And so Scripture is what anchors us. That's why we want to study. It's why we want to get to understand it the best we can by God's grace. I believe the Holy Spirit has to reveal it to us. It's not just a reading of it. I believe the Holy Spirit reveals Scripture to us. He speaks to us. And so we have to know and grow in our knowledge of Scripture. And that's work again. That's kind of like one of the oars in the water. You've got to be willing to work. You've got to be willing to read. You've got to be willing to study a little bit. I'm not talking just read a little devotional once in a while. I'm talking about study Scripture. Get your Bible out. And I was so, I was overwhelmed. I came up over here getting ready to come up to preach. And I looked down. And there's people in their tablets, people got their Bibles open. I'm like, Father, thank you. It's thank you that they love the Word, that they love you, and they want to be in the Word. They want to know what you have to say to them, right? It doesn't matter what I say. It matters what you're saying to them. And they're looking, and they're searching the Scripture so that if I get it wrong, they'll say, he got it wrong, right? That's not what it means. And then it goes on there, and it says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I know the author's just saying, look, if this happened in the Old Testament and, and, and it, was a, a lesser, it was a lesser messenger, right? It was an angel. It wasn't Jesus. It was a lesser messenger. And it was a lesser message. This was a message of the law. Important, don't get me wrong. But now we have a message of hope and faith and forgiveness and salvation and eternity in Christ. And if we reject that and there was, dis- you know, there was actual... Um, penalties for that. The wrath of God was consistent in their lives because of that disobedience. How much more if God is going to give us all of this directly from his son's lips and we reject that? The author is saying, how much more? How can you escape that? How can you escape that? In Matthew chapter 22, verse 5, here Jesus is talking about... um, uh, inviting people to a marriage uh, supper in an in environment, and, and, and what does it say? It says people decided not to come. So the invitation went out, right? The invitation went out, and it says, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. Well, obviously they're drifting here. The invitation went out. The gospel was presented. The hope was there. They were invited to the banquet. We've been invited, and, and we decide we want to follow the world. Whatever it may be, our life, it, it, it's not that it's even horribly sinful sometimes, but just the rejection of Christ is really what it's all about. We don't want him to lead us. We want to lead our own life. So someone went off to their business. They want to do their own thing. Someone off to their home. They want to do their own thing. They just didn't want him. They, just, they didn't care about the wedding. They didn't care about uniting with the groom. They didn't care about that. They neglected it. Such a great salvation. They made light of it. It's another way to translate that. They made light of this great salvation. And if we do that, how are we going to escape, is what the author is saying. How can, if, if we couldn't escape the law, how are we going to escape this? It's the Son of God telling us something, and we reject him. And obviously, the memory of the crucifixion was probably in many of these people's minds that he was writing to. And so Hebrew writer picks it up later, much later. We'll cover this probably in several months. But Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 he says this. He says, How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? Has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And has outraged the Spirit of grace? Boy. Boy. Powerful statement. The writer of Hebrews is just saying, we've, how much more punishment if we trample underfoot the Son of God, if we just do not acknowledge Him and trample Him underfoot like He doesn't matter. And if we, if we profane and, and, and this, this idea that He shed His blood and died for us, if we, don't, if we think that doesn't matter, right? We don't need that. We profane that. And then we basically... Don't care about grace. He's having outraged of the spirit of grace. Will we be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? He goes on again, chapter 12, verse 25, it says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape, there it is again, when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So if an angel comes and tells us something, or a man comes and shares something, but if God himself in the person of Jesus tells us about this, how will we escape if we reject that? There is no other. There's no other salvation available. There's no other method except through Christ. And if we reject that, we are eternally lost. So what do we see here? Another thing that helps us to deter drift is we need to acknowledge the consequence of neglecting Christ. We need to acknowledge the consequence of rejecting Christ. Now in many churches, once again, we're going to see some drift. And many churches in the last 50 years have moved away from talking about eternal consequences for the rejection of the Messiah. We've talked about love, we've talked about how to have a better marriage, we've talked about all those things. Don't get me wrong, it's fine, great. If it's in the text, we want great marriages. That's honoring and glorifying to God. We, we, that's absolutely true. God is a God of love. But when you leave out the fact that we are sinful and deserving of just punishment and that just punishment is referred to as a place of eternal separation from God called hell that nobody wants to talk about, we drifted. And the reason then that we, we, we begin to drift is because we're not fearful of anything. God becomes our friend and our buddy who loves us. No matter what I do, he loves me. It's okay. I can do whatever I want. We've drifted from the consequence of sin. And so it's no wonder we're drifting. It's no wonder. And so one of the things that helps us keep from drifting is if you acknowledge the consequence of acknowledging or reminding ourselves that there's a consequence for neglecting and rejecting Christ. There's a consequence. We said it in the book of John. Jesus says, look, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. If you don't believe me, you will not have eternal life. You'll perish. The writer of Hebrews is, just, is more, more bold in, in the statement here, Right? So, acknowledging the consequence of neglecting Christ, I, I want to share with you that um, think about this thing about rowing again, right? I want to paint a picture for you. So, I've been to the the Grand or the, um, uh, Niagara Falls a couple times, and it's beautiful and powerful, one of the seven wonders of the world, right? And it's you know it's mesmerized. You're standing there, and trillions of gallons of water, however many, waters pouring over, and it's just like, wow, that's amazing. I, Imagine I put you in a boat up top, a mile upstream. You didn't know the falls were there. And you thought, it's a great day. Just going to ch- chill out, have some lunch, got my bologna sandwich. Taking in, take a nap. I'm just drifting. Birds are chirping. All of a sudden, you realize the falls are coming. You think you're going to have your oar in the water? You bet. You think you're going to start screaming and paddling as hard as you can, screaming for help? Absolutely. Because see the current now is taking you. But you've not been paying attention. And you're heading for the fall. And there's no way to, s- to survive that fall if unless you get out of that river. Because you haven't been paying attention. And I will tell you, the fall is coming. Justice is coming. When we die, when Christ comes back, wherever you want to put that, right? Either one. If, if, if you're not acknowledging the consequence, because I can tell you, if I, put you in the, if I put you a mile upstream and I told you, hey, there's a waterfall a mile from here, don't go that way. Believe me, you would not go down that path. You would make sure that you're, you're not moving, you're not drifting, you know, you're going to stay upstream, you're going to do all of this, you're going to do all that things that you were doing, but you're going to be clear about where you're going. You're not going to drift. Because you know you can't afford to drift. But the problem is, if you don't know about the waterfall, if you don't know about the consequence of rejecting Christ, why not drift? Why not? Life is good, man. I'm just drifting. It's cool. I'm good. I can, I can do whatever I want. Jesus loves me. I, I got baptized when I was 10. I've been to church a few times since then. It's good. Dangerous. Big idea. Drifting is dangerous and deadly. If you not pay attention, you'll drift too far, and it'll be deadly. All right. Author and, and commentator David Gerzik in Blue Letter Bible, many of you guys read and look at his commentaries. I just thought this would be a, a great quote of his greater word, a greater word brought by a greater person, having a greater promise brings a greater condemnation if neglected. Let me read that again. A greater word, the gospel, brought, a great, brought by a greater person, Jesus, God in the flesh. Having a greater promise, salvation, eternal life, will bring a greater condemnation if neglected. I don't know what more I can say about that. All right, let's keep on going. We've got to finish up. Second part of verse 3, Hebrews chapter 2. It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard, right? All that Ryder's doing, he's reminding us that, that Jesus is the first one that shared about the gospel. He's the one that brought it to us. We go back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. What's it say? It says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. So he's the one whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. So he's just reminding us that this has come from him, right? All things he's attested to. It. He's the first one. And then he goes on and says, and he, it was attested to us by those who heard. So he's saying Jesus told us, but then there was others, the disciples and the apostles, they heard it, and it's been attested to us by them. Where do we see this? Writer Luke, chapter in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So Luke is just saying many people have written down what's happened, what Jesus has done just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word we have delivered to them to them to us. So he's just saying, look, we were witnesses. There was people, and that's why we're recording this. Luke was in a story, and he's recording all this, and he's saying, look, the, these things were delivered to us. People were eyewitnesses, and we're just delivering it to you now, right? I love it how John, the gospel, or not the gospel, the, the epistle of John, 1 John says it in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. That, that which was from the beginning which is talking about the word, right, which we have heard. Notice the heard again, right? The gospel has to be spoken, right? All of these passages are saying that we hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, right, and hearing by the word of God. Once again, we go to Romans chapter 10, right? We don't know unless someone, no one will know unless someone hears it and someone tells them, right? We have to speak the gospel, i just give a shout-out to a young man that I was talking to. I won't name his name. I was talking to him this week, and and he was just talking about some place he was, and he kind of had an interaction with another guy about his age, and and he just said, uh, we started talking, and and I just felt like I had to share the gospel. And and he went and kind of articulated the story, and and I don't know necessarily what God is going to do in that, but believe me, the gospel got shared, and and there was emotional. This other guy was emotional. and says This is exactly what I needed to hear, and and he never even knew this guy, Right? The gospel being spoken is what transforms hearts. But God uses it that way. And we have to be bold enough, loving enough to speak it, to pray that God will give us opportunity to speak it, right? So once again, 1 John 1 and 2. For that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, right? Now, we can't touch Jesus the same way, but we have the word of God that we can be intimate with, right? This is the word. Concerning the word of life... The life was made manifest. I mean, Jesus became a man. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you. This is the speaking again. Proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. They're proclaiming eternal life to them, which means they're proclaiming Christ because he is eternal life. And that's what he's saying here. The word became manifest, eternal life, and I'm proclaiming that to you. He's proclaiming Christ. Once again, we have to proclaim it. All right. Last verse, verse 4. It says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, what, what is, what's the writer now kind of wrapping this little piece up? He's saying, look, this message didn't just come as a message. I mean, it's the powerful message of the gospel. But God backed it up with his power. He backed it up with miracles from raising people from the dead, from healing people, from giving sight to the blind and and parting stilling the storm and, and doing all sorts of things. He backed it up with his authority. And that's what the writer's saying. He says, look, not only did he say it, not only was it true that this has been proclaimed to us by Jesus himself, but Jesus has affirmed it by what he's done. Even if you remember Nicodemus talking to Jesus the night before, you know, there when he's speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and and Nicodemus comes at night and he says, Lord, we know that you're from God. Why? Why does he know that? Because no one can do the things you do. (laughs) Like, Nicodemus gets it. No one can do these things that you do, right? And so this this picture of of Jesus is backing it up. Where do we see this? In Acts chapter 14, verse 3. There's lots of them, but I'm just going to name you a few. It says, though they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace. So the word is being shared, the gospel, the word of his grace. And what does he do? By granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. He's giving authority and, and power to the, the, the apostles right here to do something to validate the message of the gospel. It's not to heal everybody, that's not why Jesus came. It was not the point to heal everybody. It was a specific purpose to give these miraculous gifts so that the church could be established and say, yes, this is true. This is true. We see it again. Luke writes it in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Don't miss that last line. What, what the writer here is saying in that text, and, and Luke is saying in Acts there, he says, look, you're all alive. It's, it's all been written down. I'm, we're telling you it happened. You know that it happened. Notice that many of these people were still alive when all the Gospels were written and some of these Pauline letters were written. Anybody could have disputed this. That's the beauty of the Gospels. And that's the beauty of the Scripture is that there was people alive that were there. They could have disputed it and said, no, none of that happened. But it did. It did. And they don't dispute it, right? And it was attested by the works. It was confirmed by the works and the wonders and the signs. The whole book of John, what did we, what did we learn as we went through the book of John? A big piece of that was that Jesus came and de- to declare who he was and all the I am statements. But what did he do? He said, if you don't, even if you don't believe me, believe the works that I do. I mean, Brian's favorite verse was 20, I don't remember what it was, Brian. But I do these things so that you will believe. The reason I'm doing these things is that you will believe. And we have all of them that God has decided to give us, written down for us. They only had the ones they knew of at that time. We have them all. We can see every one of them. Old Testament, New Testament, we can see them all. We even get to see Revelation and what we see what God has predicted and what's going to happen in his prophecy. Last one, Mark chapter 16, verse 20. Gospel of Mark. It says, and they went out and they preached everywhere. Okay, so the apostles are going out and they're preaching. while well, the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Right? Look, I'm telling you, if somebody's telling you something and you're wondering if it's true and they heal a blind man in front of you, I think you're going to say, wow, I'm going to believe what you told me. Right? I mean, it's that simple. This isn't, this isn't rocket science. If you're questioning how you should live and Jesus tells you something, you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. And then he brings Lazarus back from the dead. I'm like, okay, I'll follow that. I got you. Put that on my list. Start today, right now. Right? It's it's that. This is the urgency, and this is what he's saying. And so what do we need to see? What's What's the fourth thing? What are the three things, right? Stay focused on Christ. That's a deterrent. Grow in your knowledge of Scripture. Absolutely. Acknowledge the consequence of neglecting Christ. A big one. But here's the last one I want to share with you. You need to believe the evidence that God has already provided. <laughs> An abundance of evidence that God has already provided. A book that has been written over really 3,500 years. By 35 some different authors that goes together like a glove, that has prophecy in it, that has archaeology that supports it, that addresses the nature of sin, that addresses God in a deity, It addresses creation, It addresses the government, It addresses all of it, how we get saved, how we spend eternity. Every piece of it is addressed in here. Show me one other document or book that does that. And then backs it up with over a thousand prof- prophetic statements that only are in Scripture. Not in the Book of Mormon, not in any other Bible, not, not in any book, I should say, religious book. Show it to me. I've never seen one. Believe me, if, if you acknowledge these four things, you will not drift. You will not. But you've got to stay rooted in those things. And then that last part of that verse in verse 4, it says, By the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Right. All the author there doing is really, I believe, picking up on what Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. It says, All these empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportioned to each one individually as he wills. So now what the author is kind of wrapping this little section up and saying, this is all what God's doing. This is not what we're doing. None of me gets credit for any of this. It's all this happening is God doing things. It's his purposes, his will is being accomplished. It's God doing it. Just stand back and be in awe of it. Right? Do what we need to do, get our oars in the water, row, get our eyes set on him, dig into the scripture, understand the consequences of of not coming to know Christ and neglecting the great salvation that is in him, and then just look at all the evidence. Final thought. I think what the author, if I could just kind of translate what I think I took away from the text today and... The study this week is there is only one way to escape. When I say escape, I'm talking about escape our sin, escape the judgment of it, the righteous judgment of it. There's only one way to escape. It's through Christ. So don't miss it. So don't miss it. Don't drift. Don't, don't, don't stop paying attention. Don't drift. Get your head in the game. Get your oar in the water. Get your eyes on Christ. Sit under the teaching. Study scripture. Partner up with people to learn, to hold you accountable. Wrestle with hard scriptures, but don't drift. Drifting is dangerous and it is deadly. The only way to escape is through Christ. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Lord, I thank you for this very stinging challenge from the writer here. As he proclaims who you are, he proclaims and clearly articulates the challenge that we have with drifting. That we want to wander our flesh so badly wants to go the way it wants to go. But Father, you have given us the Holy Spirit in us to overpower the flesh so that we will exalt you. Help us keep our eyes on Christ. Help us to keep rooted and deeply rooted in the foundation of the scripture to to see what it says and and to believe what it says, Father, and help us to build our house on that and our life on that. Father, help us to not be unaware of the consequences of neglecting such a great salvation through Christ. And then, Father, finally, help us to acknowledge and believe all the things, the evidence that you've provided for us so that we will not drift. We will be anchored to you. And Father, finally, help us to proclaim you by speaking the gospel, words of life to those around us, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, even to those maybe we just meet. Father, today we praise you and thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at the Have a blessed day.